All right, good morning again. We've already sort of had the first half of our sermon for today in our sort of peace observation and peace prayers. And now I must confess to you that I kind of lied to you last week, and I didn't mean to. It was an unintentional lie, but I said last week would be our last week in Elijah, but I kind of ended right in the middle of the story. Actually, I ended right literally in the middle of a conversation. And even though I didn't get a flood of emails from you saying you messed up the narrative, I figure maybe we should actually get to the part where Elijah is taken up into a whirlwind and, and taken off the earth and the mantle is actually passed to Elisha. So we thought that maybe that would be a good thing to do this morning. Um, we have a sermon series upcoming from Pastor John called Identity, which is already being preached at the other campus. It is fabulous. We're going to start that next week. I encourage you to uh, be a part of that. It's the Christian and his or her walk with technology and what does it look like in our lives. So um, that'll be a good time together. But for today, I want to finish up this Elijah story. So we'll be in 2 Kings chapter 2, 2 Kings chapter 2. If you want to turn there. There are many things about the American culture that I find surreal, that I find unusual, that I find interesting, that I find to be excellent sermon fodder. But there may not be anything more unusual in the life of America than the all-you-can-eat buffet. I don't know who came up with this. I don't know in what world this was a good idea. But all I can see is what it has done to us. If you're ever curious for an interesting Sunday afternoon, just go and watch people at the all-you-can-eat buffet. Because people seem to adopt at that moment a kind of personal set of goals that only exist at the all-you-can-eat buffet. Personal goal number one that you will see at the all-you-can-eat cafe is I want to see how many foods that in no normal circumstances would ever be put on the same plate that I can put on my same plate. So I'm going to put a piece of fish next to a piece of pizza, next to pineapples, next to a brownie, next to a single miniature tomato. And then you come back to your table like you're the queen or king of the world. Look what I've created. Look what I've done here. No one's ever had this combination before. Look at it. And your friends are all like, wow, that is something else. Personal goal number two, not only is there the goal of mixing the food, but somehow there is in some people's mind the goal of fitting as much food as humanly possible on one plate. They want to be walking away from that buffet with a food pile as big as their own head. That's what they're hoping for. You can't even see them behind their pile of food, which is ironic because it's an all-you-can-eat buffet. You could actually come with one piece of lettuce and just keep going back and forth as many times as you want, but we don't do that. We pile the food as high as humanly possible. And once again, we trumpet it like it's some kind of grand accomplishment. (laughs) Look at that plate. Look at that plate. To which anyone sane at the table should say, well, you know, you could just have gone up and gotten your meal 
after you ate your salad. You didn't need to put your salad on top of your meal. No, no. (laughs) I put it all on the same plate. And of course, the ironic part of all of this is that no one ever comes out of an all-you-can-eat buffet ever feeling good about themselves. You never walk, I mean, you walk in with these high-minded goals and you accomplish them. And then you walk out going, what in the world was I thinking? Why, why did I think that was real ice cream? Clearly, coming out of that machine is not real ice cream. I don't know what it is, but I did not need to eat three of them. But you did, and you stagger to your car, and you're done for the day. And you wonder, what was I thinking? Well, I don't know what you were thinking. Except that in our culture, there is a value given to the idea of more. And whatever it is, more is better. That's sort of an underlying value, whether you consciously adopt it or not. When you're at the buffet, you've adopted it. I adopted a cafe, I mean, at a, um, at a buffet, because I'm sort of a little price conscious. And I think if I'm spending $18, I'm eating $18 worth of food, which I never eat $18 worth of food. I eat $4.50 worth of food, but when I'm at a buffet, I feel like I'm, like, wasting money. If I don't eat more, because you've already spent, you've already spent the money. So I have this sort of economic desire to have more. And I don't come out, by the way, walking out of there feeling any better than any of you. I just wish I'd eaten $4 worth of food and not 18, but I don't feel good about myself. And so we often think there's the idea of more is better. And I want to talk about that idea a little bit today from 2 Kings 2, Because Elisha is going to ask for more of something that we would assume is always better. And I think that it is, but it does come with the question of how are you going to feel when you walk out of the buffet? If you receive the more that that you ask for. Now, if you remember last week, we walked with Elijah and Elisha. Excuse me. We walked with Elisha and Elijah through sort of a, I call it like a parable by journey. If you remember, Elijah walks from Gilgal to Bethel to Jericho to Jordan, and he takes Elisha with him. And at each point, Elijah says to Elisha, you don't need to go further with me. And Elisha says, where you go, I go. And we talked about why might Elijah have taken this little journey, even though from the text, we know that at least Elisha knows, and we assume Elijah knows, that this is the last day or days of his life. And I suggested that Elijah was taking Elisha, his protege, on a kind of spiritual journey of what what it looks like for Elisha to carry the mantle of Israel's prophet. What would it look like for Elisha to model what it's like to be the representative of God? And we talked about what does that mean for us? So we saw how each of the places he went to were not really random places, but were rather important spiritual points in the life of Israel that Elisha, I think, was supposed to remember and go, oh, that's right. That's part of my identity. And so he went to Gilgal where there was the circumcision ceremony and where God said to the Israelites, I have separated you from Egypt. 
And we discussed how we model in our lives that we are separate, we are saints, we are holy, we are set apart. And if Elisha is going to model the life of a believer, he needs to model a life that's set apart. But then he went to Bethel where he experienced God. And he had an encounter with God, not where Elisha did, but where um, Israel or Jacob had an encounter with God. The stairway to heaven. And that we need to be modeling people who've had an encounter with God. That we need to be people who aren't just separate from things, but are separated for something. That we have not just been pulled away from the life of sin to live in this sort of nether region, but we have been separated out from, but also separated out for good works and for following God and for the good that God has to offer. And I suggested last week that we as believers, we have become people as a whole who are more known for being separate from than separated for. People know what Christians are against, but we don't, they often don't know what we're for. And so I encourage us to think about, are there ways that we can show ourselves to be for healthy families and for justice and for reconciliation? How do we show ourselves to be for stuff and not just against? Then they made a stop at Jericho, this this symbol in the lives of the Israelites of hope and of God's presence in their lives as the walls fell down. And then finally to Jordan, where Elijah separated the waters, showing him to be in this long legacy from when Joshua separated the waters of the Jordan, which reflected back on when Moses separated the waters of the Red Sea. And now that Elijah's doing it, we see that Elijah and therefore Elisha would be part of this long legacy of people who followed Christ, of people who were God-fears, who people who understood that we are part of something much bigger. And I challenged us in our lives to be people who live a life who are not... Um, confined by our little worlds. But rather, we have a much broader view because we're part of this long legacy of faith that started all the way back in the Bible and continued through history to us today. And so Elijah and Elisha, they took this journey and had this, uh, I think, parable by journey. And that's where we pick up today. 2 Kings, hmm. I'm in the dark. I'm going to stand over here. Let's start at verse, let's start at verse 9. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, so this is the mentor saying to the mentee, this is the prophet saying to the future prophet, Ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. And Elisha said, Please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. And he said, that's, this is Elijah. And Elijah said, You have asked, Elisha, you have asked for a hard thing. Yet, if you see me as I am being taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if you do not see me, it shall not be so. 
And as they still went on and talked, behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it, and he cried, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw him no more. And he took hold of his own clothes and tore them into two pieces. And then he took up the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water, saying, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he had struck the water, the water was parted to the one side and the other, and Elijah went, and Elisha went over. Now, when the sons of the prophets who were in Jericho saw him opposite them, they said, the spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. A curious little conversation prior to Elijah's fantastic departure. Ask me anything you want of me. And Elisha says, give me a double portion of of your spirit. And Elijah's response is, you have asked for a hard thing. Now, commentators are a little divided on how to understand Elijah's response. You have asked for a hard thing. So one school, and and I don't know that the the power of the text remains the same either way, but here are the two schools. One school says that Elijah's saying, it's hard for me to to guarantee that for you. I can't just give that to you. You've asked for a hard thing of me. You've asked me to give you something that's difficult for me to give. And you can imagine, if I asked you, let's say, you have an iPad there. If I said, could I have two two of your iPads? You could say to me, well, that would be pretty hard for me because I've only got one. So Elijah, I mean, imagine Elijah going, well, you want double of something I only have half of what you're asking for. You following me? You're asking for something I don't have. And so you're you're asking for a hard thing of me, but if you see me taken away, then you will receive this double portion. That's one interpretation. I think it's a fine one. Uh, And that's actually how I used to read it, or, or kind of initially read it. But the other option I think may also be true, or maybe it's it's true in some sense. And that is, Elijah is saying to Elisha, what you are asking for is a hard thing to have. When you ask for a double portion, you're asking for something that you are going to have to carry. You're asking for more. You need to make sure you want more. So it's not a hard thing on Elijah. It's hard potentially on Elisha. Elisha, you might be asking for a hard thing. Elijah knew his own life. We studied Elijah. We saw Elijah in Cherith in the wilderness. We saw him crossing through Israel being chased by Ahab. We saw him hanging out for years with the widow. We saw him going through dark and difficult times. Pastor Terry talked about his time on the mountain again where he just said, Lord, take my life. I'm all by myself. I think you can imagine when Elisha says, I want twice what you got, Elijah goes, you need to be careful what you're asking for. 
Be careful what you're asking for. You might not want twice of what I got. I think it's, of course, a good thing to want more of the Holy Spirit. I certainly think and would encourage you to pray for more of the Holy Spirit, for more of God in your life. Pray for that. Ask for that. Desire that. Look for that in your life. Seek that. But make sure you're ready to use it to make use of it, to embrace it. Jesus gives a parable with a a somewhat similar lesson. To whom much has been given, much will be required. You want double portion of the Spirit? I encourage you to ask for it. But when you receive it, you need to use it. And it may not just be a double portion of the Spirit. It may be taking what God has given you and using that for the glory and the good of the Lord. Because it might just not be the spirit you've asked for. You might have prayed all years and years that God would give you the money to buy a home. You've asked for a double portion. You don't deserve a home. None of us deserve it. We ask for God's grace in giving us a home. And once you receive it, there's a sense in which you've received a double portion. And God says, to whom much has been given, much will be required. I have doubly blessed you. Will you doubly use it for my kingdom? If you've asked for friends, if you've asked for a job, if God has given you family, if God has given you resources, if God has given you a bonus check this year, if you've prayed and God has given it to you, it may be a double portion, but be careful. You may have asked for a hard thing. It may be that you asked for a house with an extra bedroom because you always wanted a place to do your sewing. And within a month of owning the house, some family member asked if they can move in with you. And you go, oh, I have asked for a hard thing. When I was in college, I organized and I worked and I asked and got all things worked out to bring my car to campus. I was one of the few sophomores who had a car on campus. Little did I know that amongst my friend group, I had asked for a hard thing. I would leave my key in my drawer of my desk and hope that it was there when I needed it because my roommate needed the car. And I would come home and I'd pull out my drawer and I'd, there was no key. Of course, no, no cell phones, no way to contact him. And I would just hope. He knows I have to go to work today, right? And he would come flying back. Here's your key. Here's your key. I'd ask for a hard thing. But you see what I'm saying? You can ask for that job. And when you finally get it, you feel the blessing of the Lord in your life. But are you taking that thing that God has given you? And are you using it as if it is a double blessing of the Lord? Are you recognizing it as a double blessing from the Lord for the Lord's use? Think about what you're asking for. Consider 
Am I asking for a hard thing? And if I receive it, am I willing to give it back to the Lord? When Elisha watched Elijah go away, Elijah's mantle falls. His, his cloak falls to the ground. And this is the cloak that he had used to part the Jordan just earlier in the story. And notice that Elisha tears his own garment, symbolically, I think, saying, I am going to step into this life that I just had this journey for. I just asked for this hard thing. Symbolically, I'm going to tear away my past and who I might want to be in my own mind, and I'm going to put on the mantle of Elijah, and I'm going to carry this double portion. And he himself then goes and then strikes the water, says, Lord, are you with me? Have I received the Spirit? And the water parts, and Elisha is included now in the line of prophets of Israel. And all the prophets around recognize this. He asked for a hard thing, and he is committed to following after and using that hard thing, using that thing that he received for the work of God. It is conceivable that you could ask God for something, a double portion of something, more of something, a gift of some sort, and you receive it, and all you're able to do is stagger out of the buffet with a stomach ache. Or you can think about what does it mean to have twice as much from the Lord? And is there a way that I can give twice as much because of what he has given to me? Let's pray together. Our Lord, we know, we know that you've given us more than a double portion. You've given us triple and quadruple and whatever that's after that portion. And Lord, we want to be faithful. I, I know this room. And I know their hearts and desire to be faithful. So I pray that we would continue to not, not to not ask for a double portion, but that we would ask for that double portion and that we would embrace it in order to give away what you've given us. That you would use it to, that we would give our time and our, and our energy and our resources away because of the double portion of the Spirit in our lives. Because you have blessed us, may we bless others. Give us that mindset that nothing we have is ours. That you've made us responsible with much. May we show ourselves to be faithful. Lord, we all long for those words. You have been a good and faithful servant. May that be the testimony of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.